Today I'm reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In today's text, Jesus painted a picture of what he was about, a picture of what was to come. This was Jesus' vision statement, a vision given hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. It was a painting of what could be, of what should be, of what can be. We need to hear our vision regularly here at this church to keep in front of us what can be and what is and where we are going. And so in light of that, I want to, uh, I want to start with the four points of our vision as soon as I can find them. <laughs> the first is this. Our vision is to provide a holistic ministry meeting people at their point of need. Jesus met human need as he traveled and shared the gospel. In fact, it was part of the gospel. Jesus healed the blind. He caused the lame to walk. He delivered people from the clutches of devils. He fed the hungry, touched the outcast. The first part of our vision is to do what Jesus modeled, helping obvious human need. I mean this in a biblical way. For many people, salvation is not enough. Don't get me wrong, salvation, knowing Jesus Christ is the most important, the most wonderful, the greatest gift we can ever offer anyone. But a hungry person needs more than living bread. They need actual physical bread. An addict does not just need Jesus. They need to journey with someone who knows exactly what they're going through and who can help them. A person who finds Christ in prison still needs a job when they get out of prison and support and, and discipleship to help them grow. As I said several weeks ago, only Christ can raise the dead like he did Lazarus. But we are called to help take off the grave clothes that reinfect and kill the new life Jesus just gave. Only Jesus can give new life, but he expects us to help people be free of the old infected rags that bind them. We are people here that have lots of ministries, and I'm not going to go over them. Our ministries touch thousands of people a year with medicine and medical care and food and English as a second language and all of that. But today, I would like you to pray for three doors God may be opening for ministry now. Pastor Cedra is now the, the new liaison between Melrose School and the parents in the community. She's excited. I'm excited. Pray, how does God want us to interact with Melrose Elementary School, which is the elementary school closest to us, and Pastor Cedra? 
Secondly, a second thing to pray about is that the English as a second language ministry that's been going on here has been invited to Foos Middle School, which is the largest middle school in all of Harrisburg. Where is the Lord going with this? We need to pray. We need to discern. And Carmen Donis has been invited to help at two women's shelters in the city. What is the Spirit wanting to do with us there? Please pray. I'm excited about these things. I'm excited because God is moving in these areas. Because for a long time we have been saying, you know, we have lots of ministries where people come here. But how do we get into the community? Here are three doors where we may be going into the community. The second aspect of our vision is that we partner with other churches and organizations to serve the city of Harrisburg and our neighborhood. What God has called us to is bigger than what we are. We need to partner with others to do what God is calling us to. So we do. We partner with Mission of Mercy, which is the, the mobile medical clinic that comes here. We partner with the Pennsylvania Food Bank. We partner with ministries of all kinds, including CCU and other churches. We actually believe the body of Christ should work together. How about that? That the devil and our egos keep us apart, and it minimizes the power of the gospel wherever we are. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Why? So that the world would know he is Lord. God help us. <laughs> we all do better when we work together. We should at least try to act like we like each other, even if we don't all go to the same church, don't you think? Well, I'm editing as I go, so excuse me. <laughs> the third part of our vision is this. We are called to worship, serve, and witness and make disciples in the city of Harrisburg in the name of Christ. We are intentionally a city church. We could have left here. 20 years ago, we were contemplating leaving the city of Harrisburg. But God told us in unmistakable ways we were to stay here. And part of the reason for this is because the New Testament church, the gospel and the New Testament church flowed along the lines of cities. Let me remind you that, that Jesus was born in a little town called Bethlehem, a backwoods town. And he grew up in another small town called Nazareth, as we heard today. And he loved them both and he loved the people in both. But it says that in the last days of Jesus' life, he set his face towards Jerusalem, the largest city in Israel the home of Solomon, the capital of the nation, the center of everything that was Israel. What Jesus knew was that if he was going to start a global movement, a new kingdom, it needed to happen in Jerusalem, an urban center. Because cities are centers of culture, they are centers of education, centers of communication, centers of influence, economic centers. Jesus chose purposely to challenge the powers that be right there in Jerusalem. He chose to engage in theological debate in the city where theological debate never ended and, took, and, and, and was at its highest. He shook the establishment of all of Israel when he cleansed the temple. Jesus was celebrated in Jerusalem with palm leaves. He was tried and crucified in Jerusalem, and he rose from the dead on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Why? 
because he wanted Israel and the world to know what God had done and was doing through him. And Jesus knew that if Jerusalem was shaken up by his life and his death and his message, all of Israel would get the message too. Christianity itself moved from city to city, from Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost to Damascus when the persecution came, from Damascus to Antioch, and then from Antioch into the cities of Asia Minor, cities like Corinth and Athens and Philippi. And of course, the big prize for the New Testament church, the big prize was Rome itself. Rome, the capital of the empire, Rome, that the, 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 the city that ruled the world, never forget that the place where the two greatest apostles died was in Rome. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome trying to reach it. Paul was beheaded in Rome trying to reach it. And we should not forget that the book of Revelation was written to the churches located in major cities or Asia Minor. Laodicea, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Ephesus, and others were, were large urban centers the Holy Spirit did not send Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Timothy to focus on rural areas, although he loves all rural people. He sent them into urban centers to witness and to, to debate with the great minds and religions of the world. Brothers and sisters, if we take the cities, we will take the world. And if we lose the cities, then the world will go down with them. And that's exactly what we are witnessing right now. In the 1960s, a great tragedy befell the church in North America. The white evangelical church abandoned the cities of this nation. White evangelicals fled the cities and, and headed to the suburbs and took the church with them. Of course, the African-American Hispanic churches stayed because they weren't welcome in the suburbs. Please know this. What happens in the city affects us all no matter where you live. Remember when gun violence was only in large urban centers? Where is gun violence now? Remember when porn was only found in the largest cities? Where is porn now? Remember when drugs were found only in large cities? Where are drugs now? As Joe Lewis said, you can run, but you cannot hide. We all, even if we don't live in the city, have a stake in the city, whether we know it or not. You see, I don't have to live near a river to want the river to have clean water because it just might end up in my tap. And I don't have to, you know, live in China to pray for the, the church in China and all those, that stuff they make that comes back this way. It's okay to live where you live. It's not a sin not to live in Harrisburg. But we all had better care for what happens in our cities, including Harrisburg, because the cities will influence sooner or later what happens where you live, what affects your children, what goes on in your schools and in your neighborhood. Cities are the centers of influence, and we ignore them at our own risk no matter where we live. If you don't live in Harrisburg, you know, we have people that come and drive an hour one way to get to the, here. And I am deeply, profoundly moved by that. You can care for the city and not live in the city. And I'm so, we need everybody. We can't, we can't be picky around here. <laughs> See the pastor you pick? Anyway, <laughs> no matter where you're from. And if you are a visitor today, I pray for the cities. 
Pray for the city that's closest to you. And maybe, just maybe, you can touch base with a, a city church near you and do mission projects with them. And the final part of our vision is to model and teach racial reconciliation. When it comes to diversity, the history of the church in this country is not very pretty. And things have not, have you noticed, it dominates the news. Have you noticed? Race still dominates the news. We have a long way to go. And, in, and unfortunately, in every major organization or institution in this country, they are far ahead of the church of Jesus Christ when it comes to inclusion. Have you noticed? We are still the most segregated hour of the week in America. Martin Luther King said that 50 years ago. Still true. And the tragedy is that we have so much more to offer in this area than the American government, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, and the universities. They can only force integration. But the problem with integration is you can have a fully integrated room full of people and they still don't know each other, or in fact, they still don't like each other. But they're obeying the law. But people's hearts remain untouched. The politicians of the world can do some things that are very important. But they're not going to fix what is profoundly a spiritual problem. Governments can legislate justice, but they cannot legislate away hatred. They can legislate late laws, but they can't legislate love. They can deal with the symptoms of racism, but they simply cannot cure its cause. To be honest, I am more concerned about how evangelicals quietly tolerate racism and have for decades than I am about the government. I truly believe that this country doesn't change until the church faces the role that it has in the divisions that exist in this nation. This past yesterday, Hank and I led a workshop, and uh, I, I think... God really tried to heal us along racial lines at least twice. The first was right after the Civil War. After the Civil War, you, you know, uh, slaves and slave owners usually worshiped together. And when the Civil War ended, amazingly, graciously, African Americans said, well, now that the war is over and we are free, could we still worship together? And the white folks said, no. Or you can still worship where we put you back in the balcony, way back in the back of the bus. You can be second-class citizens in the church or get out of the church. And at that moment, that was when the black church was born. And it is an indictment on the white church. And the second real chance, I think, for this nation to have healing along racial lines came in 1906 in Los Angeles at Azusa Street. That's where it came. It was on April the 12th on a Maundy Thursday. And there were two leaders of this movement. One was, was William Seymour, and the other was Charles Parham. Seymour tells about what happened to him. He was praying. And again, you old-timers know what I'm saying when I say this, but he decided he was going to pray through one night and he said he prayed through, and then a white hot brilliance seemed to appear, draw near, and fall upon him. 
Divine love melted his heart. He sank to the floor seemingly unconscious. Words of deep healing and encouragement spoke to him. As from a great distance, he heard, heard unutterable words being uttered. It was angelic ador adoration and praise. Suddenly, he realized that the indescribably lovely language belonged to him, pouring out from his innermost being. A broad smile wreathed his face. At last, he arose and happily embraced those around him. The Holy Spirit had showed up. And within days of this jubilant ragtap group, they were joined by both black and white, necessitating a larger facility. A surge of interest brought huge crowds from virtually every race, nationality, and social class to Seymour's congregation. The power of the Spirit, a revolutionary, in, by the power of the Spirit, a revolutionary new type of Christian community was born. As Frank Bartleman, a journal, journalist who chronicled the events of the Azusa Street Revival, exclaimed, the color line was washed away in the blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Seymour understood, you know, and, and the, God chose these insignificant, unimpressive, foolish folk to do something to change the world. Seymour understood clearly the implications of the revival for interracial reconciliation and community. He saw this in a way that Parham and the other white leaders never saw. He saw that God in Christ was bringing people together from every race and tongue and ethnicity. In the very first issue of the Apostolic Faith, a paper he put out, Seymour stated, multitudes have come. God makes no difference in nationality. Ethiopians, Chinese, Indians, Mexicans, and other nationalities worship together. Three months later, in December 1906, he wrote, The people are all melted together by the Holy Spirit, made one lump, one bread, one body in Christ Jesus. There is no Jew or Gentile, bond or free in the Azusa Street revival. He is a respecter of person. He is no respecter of persons or places. In those early years, white leaders came in. Here's the miracle of Azusa Street. In those early years, white Members came in large numbers, repenting of their racial attitudes and working alongside Seymour. Never in history had any such leadership surged into the church of a black pastor. In some ways, he said the interracial miracle at Azusa Street was more astonishing than all the other kinds of miracles. No instrument, he said, that God can use is rejected on account of color or dress or lack of education. This is why God has built up the work. This openness extended all through the social strata of that day, including women. Many of the most powerful leaders flowing out of the Azusa Street Revival were women. Women by the score would arm themselves with Bibles and anointing oil and walk from house to house in Los Angeles looking for people in need. And if they found any that were sick, they would anoint them and pray. And then they would volunteer their services in the name of Jesus, cleaning their houses, doing their dishes, caring for their children. Seymour said, on the day of Pentecost, they all preached through the power of the Holy Ghost. In Christ, there is neither male nor female. All are one. Seymour stressed genuine Christian love above all. He said, this is more important than tongues. He said, the Pentecostal power, when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love flowing through us. And he said, if the main hallmark of being filled with the Spirit is not more of God's love flowing through us, it is counterfeit. This movement was doing things unheard of in this country at the Azusa Street Revival. 
there was just one problem. Charles Parham, the white leader of the movement, as opposed to William Seymour, what they didn't know and did not find out till later was that Charles Parham belonged to the Ku Klux Klan. And he split the movement precisely along racial lines. And so they went, there, they went their different ways. The miracle of Azusa Street was undermined by white racism once again. God help us. God help us. You know, I, uh, when I look, there is one thing. When I look at what God has tried to do and how racism has undermined it, it makes me want to weep. But I got some good news this morning. The spirit still isn't finished. And his agenda still has not changed. The Holy Spirit has not given up on us and his church. If his church, you know, the, the Holy Spirit has an agenda, folks. It's not just to come down and tickle our innards. It's not just to give us a high. The Holy Spirit has come to heal us. And not just our bodies, but our hearts. And not just our hearts, but this society. He has come to do a new thing. We can do so much better than integration. We are called to reconciliation in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can get people together who ordinarily wouldn't get together. We can form free friendships with people different than ourselves. We can be knit together in love by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is its own witness. When people who ordinarily have nothing to do with each other, and there's walls there, come together and worship together, people go, why are you together? And we can say, this is Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. The church of Jesus Christ should be leading the way in North America. Instead, we are trailing everyone else while having more to offer than anyone else. God help us. God help us. We are called to be a part of Christ's kingdom. We are called to be a part of Christ's radical counterculture like we see at the Azusa Street Revival. In the New Testament, every wall that separated people caved in. The walls that separated gender, races, ethnicities, socioeconomic barriers were demolished on the cross in Jesus' body, that's in Ephesians 2, and fleshed out in the New Testament church by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Because in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, barbarian or Scythian, male or female, slave nor free. And if we yield to Christ and his word and his spirit, I got news for you. He's still got the same agenda he had at Azusa Street. He's still got the agenda he had in the New Testament church. He still wants to do a work in us if we can let him expand our hearts and our minds. If we yield to him, what will we see in our churches? What do we want to see in our churches? Let us pray that Christ will break loose in our churches. You know, I hear people all the time going, we need a revival. Well, you're right. But it's a bigger revival than most people who are saying we need a revival ever realize. 
God's agenda is a whole lot bigger than what we mean usually by revival. You know, as Jerry Lee Lewis said, when he didn't say this, but when the Holy Spirit comes, there'll be a whole lot of shaking going on. <laughs> he will shake this culture to its foundations with his church, the radical new counterculture. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Mark, come on up here. Give him a shove there, I doctors. No. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'd like the intercessors to come forward. And I just want to say, uh, again, we end our services with prayer, with intercessors. We don't want anyone who needs prayer to come and not get it. And if you don't know what to do, to do with yourself, worship the Lord or pray for people up front. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the intercessors to come and let us worship the Lord who has brought us all together in the power of his spirit. Amen. Amen. We have, we have, has been Mary and Thomas are with us today. Mary has prophetic gifts and, uh, fan, you know, a, a tremendous ministry of faith in prayer. If you've been struggling with something uh, and praying for something, you just might want to come. She's sitting on the front row up here. You just might want to come up for her to pray for you. And just, you know, let, let her pray for you. We'll, uh, the rest of us will pray for you, but she, she has a gift that not many people have. So anyway, now let's go back to what you were doing, Bart. <laughs> now is the time to receive of the Lord because he's here, amen? I said he's here, amen? The Spirit of God is here. It's here. What you need is here. There are people willing to pray with you now. So we're saying to you, come. But we're going to go back for the music part, back to I need you to survive because the words, the words, the words, the words, the words. Amen. I need.